Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, let's talk about something that I think is near and dear to not just parents and community members and educators, but really all of us when we think about the safety of young people, their interactions at school, online, and ways in which we can provide well-being and thoughtful well-being practices and activities. We're going to be talking today with Teodora Pavkovich. She is the Director of Well-Being at LineWise. So many of you know LineWise. They have over 13 million students that they protect, 25,000 schools safeguarded with 6 million parents supported, and over 750,000 interventions. And let me tell you a little bit more about Teodora. She's a director, like I said, the Well-Being at LineWise, where she leverages her decade-plus of experience as a parenting coach and digital wellness practitioner to provide guidance and advice to parents, teachers, and school administrators on topics concerning mental health, responsible and safe use of technology, tech ethics, which I want to get into, Teodora, parenting in the digital age, and child development. She's a prominent figure in the global digital wellness community. She's a member of both the American and British Psychological Association, co-chair of Fair Plays, that's formerly Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, parenting professionals group, and an advisory board member of several educational and mental health organizations. Teodora, it's so nice to spend some time with you. You are doing what we might deem in America the dirty work, right? You're you're in there to really sort of cross the threshold of topics that maybe some of us don't want to talk about or we don't want to think we need to talk about. And maybe there is a difference there. Tell me a little bit about the questions that you get and the work that you're doing line-wise that would indicate sort of where, where we are as people that are looking in general writ large to protect young people in their experiences of engagement with others through digital platforms, sort of where are we right now and what kinds of questions are we getting that might be an indicator of where we're going? Right. Well, first of all, Rod, thank you so much for having me and thank you to everyone who is is joining us to to hear our conversation. I'm always excited when, when people are drawn to this topic of, of digital wellness. I've been in this field, which, which still doesn't really quite even exist as a field. I think we, we, we are a bunch of, of pioneers basically trying to draw attention to how important this is. But I've been in the field for about seven years now. And in fact, just before we, we came on, on this call to have this conversation, I was presenting about parental engagement. And so I would say that's, that's one of the key aspects of children's online safety and sort of the situation that we're in right now. That's one of the key questions of how engaged are parents? Are we happy with the levels of parental engagement or not? How do parents themselves feel about their children's online safety and, and how engaged and, and knowledgeable and aware they are really of, of what their children are doing online? And depending on the research that you look at, there's, there's all sorts of different statistics that seem to indicate that the levels of engagement and, and awareness aren't quite where we want them to be. But we also know that parents want to learn more. We know that an overwhelming majority want to to understand better what their ch- children are doing on their school issue devices, for example. We know that, you know, a majority of children are experiencing, for example, cyberbullying in the U.S., but we also know that an overwhelming majority of parents are just simply not aware that this is even happening. They, they don't know that their children are having negative experiences online. And again, luckily, we have some research that shows us some of the reasons for that. So children don't feel that their parents are knowledgeable enough about you know the virtual world uh, in order to be able to help them, which, of course, in some cases is, in fact, true. Children are very, very afraid that a parent's first reaction will be, I'm going to take that device off of you or, you know, no Internet for 
whatever amount of, of days, or that a parent's sort of automatic suggestion will be, well, just delete that app from your phone then if, if, you know, if it's such a problem. So we can see, we can see that there is some misalignment there between, between parents and, and children. I'm not happy with the levels of, of awareness yet. I think we still have a lot of work to do. I think we need to try a lot harder to, to really engage and educate parents. Um, but that's just one, one side of, of the sort of, of, of the whole picture. Another one is what are school districts themselves doing? Um, and again, you know, working at an organization like LineWise, I, I have some pretty good insight into what, you know, school districts in the U.S., but schools around the world are doing as well. And, and, and I have to say that I've definitely seen some really positive developments. There's a lot more involvement in children's online safety. I don't think school districts any longer think of it as just, you know, get the filter, turn it on and let it do its thing in the background. They're becoming a lot more involved in in children's online safety and we're seeing that around the world as well. So that's really positive. And then of course we have the government. That's that's another sort of piece of of that whole puzzle. And that varies a little bit depending on if you're looking at the US versus say the European Union and, and other parts of the world in terms of their involvement. But it's it's it is a very complex, it's a very complex picture. Um, I personally am an advocate of we're all responsible for children's online safety, every single one of us, even if you're not a parent, if you don't have a child in your own home, we're all so interconnected online that we all affect each other in, in, in virtual spaces. And so I think we all need to do our own part to make sure that young people are really reaping the benefits of the online world, are having more positive experiences online. And we try to manage better some of these negative things that, that can happen to them and, and some of the negative habits that they can build up. Um, Theodora, well. is this, is this, as you're talking, it makes me think, is this more about educating the adult in the room? And I'm using the word room very broadly. Over and the really, word adult very broadly. Maybe as well. <laughs> right. Yes. Over really the young person or the student, because I'm hearing from you and I get it. It's this sort of either or proposition. It's it's mm-hmm. either we have a firewall or we don't. If we even yeah. use the word firewall, does that sort of sort of, you know, date us in the way in which we think about technology? We're seeing it now with AI. We're seeing it with smartphones that schools are having to decide what their policies are. And it does feel like we come at it from a very defensive position and that yet the young people, these digital natives are approaching it not from an either or, but from an and. And so I'm wondering, how do we understand, how do we understand exposure? And, And that may not be the right word. So hear me out in this exposure, meaning what we see, like, what are the potential things that we could be seeing if we're not careful? Because sometimes I think an error that adults make is that we say something. We just assume that the young person can, in their mind, think about what we're talking about because we can't, my goodness, we can't talk about it. We can't research it. And then if they go off on their own and see something or read something that is fake news or it's not healthy, whatever you want to deem healthy or not healthy, I feel like that puts them in a very confusing position because we have been more, it's been more about our anxiety and our level of unknowing about what's out there and our lack of curiosity as adults. I think sometimes we get to a point where we lack that curiosity that says, gosh, I don't know, what are they doing when they search? You know, yeah. you know, I hear this all the time. It's like, well, you know, these young people are using YouTube in a way that's not healthy, or these kids are just playing games. And it's like, okay, but are you diving into their world? And I just don't know if we are. So talk a little bit about yeah. that, that split between the young person and the adult, mm-hmm. because it really feels like if we're going to make progress, it has to be from the adult side of it. The kids are going to do what the kids are going to do. We've all done that every generation as we've just utilized whatever's been in front of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that 
split between the generations, that distance has always been there and it's always existed. It just looks a little bit different now. So, you know, when I was a teenager in the 90s from my parents, the issue was the phone. And because I was on the phone all the time with my best friend who I just spent the whole day with at school. And so then I would come home and then I would continue to to talk to her for another five hours. And then, you know, five knocks later after my mom or dad would come in, it would be like, okay, now you have to, you have to just shut that phone off. (laughs) You you cannot be talking to her. What else is there to say? So there's definitely that intrinsic sort of misunderstanding that, that is, that is just there. And that's really down to, you know, as an adult, where you are in your life, your brain development, the way you perceive things, you know, the way you behave, the value you add to work versus friendships versus responsibilities. You're in an entirely different place. And even though you were once a teenager, you just, you, you've kind of forgotten. You've forgotten how, how intense every experience is and what it means to be best friends with somebody and, and that need to connect with them and just to, to be around them all the time. And, and, you know, the, the technologies that we're seeing now, like social media, definitely, I would say, you know, on the one hand, take advantage of that all the way to possibly exploit that as well. So we definitely need to do more to really understand how important these technologies are to our children and the purpose that they serve in in their lives. So I absolutely agree with you that a lot of this has to do with that adult education. So many things that you mentioned, I think are crucial things like curiosity. So part of my background is in positive psychology as well. and, And curiosity is this wonderful psychological cognitive state that that really completely changes even our physiology how how we physically relate to something but mentally how we relate to something as well and that's one of the key recommendations that i give to parents you know if you're worried about something if you're really troubled about something if you're really in that negative space just try to shift your focus into curiosity try to be curious about so like you said you know what what my child is is searching for on YouTube. What are the results that they get? What are the types of content again that they're creating or that they're that they're consuming? As soon as we switch our our mental state into curiosity, really the whole story changes and the way we relate to everything completely changes. And that's a huge part of parental education is to really encourage parents to be more openly and positively involved to show their children that they're curious, that they want to know. And one of the most difficult things for parents is to to show that they are humble in that curiosity, that that they can openly admit and say, look, I don't know what this is like for you. I have absolutely no idea what it's like for you from day one to be completely immersed in a digital world where me as your mother, father, uncle, aunt, grandparent have a smartphone in our hands most of the time, where we're watching Netflix most of the time, where we're on our laptops working from home most of the time. We're all attached to these devices and our children from day one are watching us being attached to them. And then we're very surprised when they become attached themselves at around the age of, you know, whenever that happens between say eight, eight to 11. So I think we, we need to become a lot more aware ourselves. We need to understand that there are those differences. I think children themselves also are asking for more online safety education too. It's of a slightly different kind than parents are, but we know that both sides want better protection. They want more knowledge. They want to equip themselves better. We know that children 
are fully aware of all the negativity that exists online. It's not like we know something that they don't. They're fully aware of that. And it really bothers them and it really upsets them. And it can sometimes lead them into mental health issues, you know, with things like bullying and things like grooming and sextortion and all of these different things. So children know that this is happening. They're not happy with the levels of protection we're providing them. They're not happy with how safe or unsafe some of these virtual spaces are that they're in. And they want more of our help. So that door is open. It's just that we need to approach it in a, in a very mindful kind of way and make sure that, that as a result of what we do, that door doesn't get shut because then, of course, we, we can't be involved in, in any way at all. And, and that's, yeah. that doesn't lead to a good outcome. No, and I appreciate the humility element of it. I think that adults absolutely need to walk into this, you know, with humility because the kids can see right through it. I'm curious as to how we look forward because, you know, it is tough in cyberbullying and, and, you know, we'll hear these terrible stories where you'll have parents and family members who did not know what was going on with a young person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sadly, then maybe there's a, a tragic ending to that story mm-hmm. and we're entering in and we're already there, but we're into a world of AI now where, you know, if you think back to the pandemic, right, there were these cute videos of kids who were on their classroom zoom, but they had figured out a way to rig it so that, there was an image of them sitting there, but they weren't even there. And you go, oh, that's so cute, right? <laughs> but we're now in a world where we're not living in, in a terribly authentic world, or that's the challenge that we're facing. It is it is a very synthetic world where AI can impersonate everything from a persona to now imagery, right? And videos. And so I'm just wondering if we, are we behind the eight ball? How do companies like LineWise, how do professionals like yourself Keep yourself abreast of where the technology is going, even as a potential ethicist in this, to understand what, I guess, what is appropriate. And sadly, I don't think we can sort of lean back on our history and our relationship with technology because we've kind of, we've we've been a little bit of a Charlie Brown missing the kick every time going, well, wait a minute, we're, we're two steps behind and we're getting set up by the very technology that we're building. And it's it's iterating even faster than we yeah. can possibly imagine. And it's mm-hmm. not 2005, let alone 1995. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering the types of questions that you're having internally and other professionals are having outside of the public domain to explore how do we approach a world that we may not be able to tell is what we see in front of us, what we read, what we hear. That to me is incredibly important as we move forward before this sort of gets just out of control where we have, we really have anarchy, <laughs> digital anarchy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really big question and, and I'll be honest, I don't know if I know the answer to it just yet because it is still very new. And even though we are, you know, we, we are having some conversations both with US-based school district, district schools in other places where we operate, like the UK and Australia, we do get some questions around AI. Uh, we've written a little bit about sort of Chat GPT and its role in education, and and the, you know those are some of the resources that that we've shared with our districts. We're not seeing very frequent or very sort of specific questions around AI just yet. I think the reason might be that there's still so many other issues that that school districts are are experiencing over the past i would say week or so i've seen 
an incredibly large number of, of articles talking about the number of students that are still missing out on, on school in, in person, right? So in the U.S., that's defined as, I think, about 30% or higher of the student body regularly missing out on, on in-person teaching. So absenteeism is a, is a huge issue in the U.S. right now, something that districts really have to handle. And that's just one of, of the many. So I think you know, that, that doesn't make things better. I think that's still going to contribute to that. We're, we're always going to be catching up with it. And by the time we really get to actually ad- sort of addressing it as an issue, I don't want to say it will be too late, but I think w- we will be catching up for, for a very long time. I think part of it goes back to, it, it always goes back really to, to education. So whether we're talking about, you know, digital media lit- literacy education, digital citizenship education, I think it's really important to keep talking to children about these new technologies, again, in a very open and and curious kind of way, and explore with them how they're exploring these technologies. So again, one of the more troubling recent trends that we're seeing in, in the US and in the UK, actually, is children using AI to create inappropriate images of other children, like nudes and things like that, and then, you know, share them further online. I think it's it's something that we never could have prevented. So I think we need to not think in those terms. Otherwise, we will drive ourselves crazy. So there's there's no there's no way of preventing these things happening. Like you said, kids will always be kids. They will experiment. They will play around. They will they will try to figure things out. So it's happening. But I think it's incredibly important that all the different you know schools and districts and countries where these trend, trends are are starting to emerge that they immediately think about okay how can we how can we increase our digital literacy and digital citizenship education with kids and talk to them about some of the implications of doing exactly that? It's, it's the same thing that, that, you know, parents and, and caregivers have been doing for millennia with, with children. We, we talk about, you know, we talk about morals or we talk about ethical behavior or we talk about what being polite means, what being respectful means. How do we want to show up in the world? We've been, we've been doing that for, like I said, millennia anyway, that conversation just needs to now include online behavior as well. And so one example can be using AI to to generate really inappropriate or harmful or or hurtful, racist, you know, whatever the case is, yeah. um, images and and really explore that that topic. I, I think it always has to come back to to education. Yeah, it is it is that that constant curiosity to your point asking of the question the art of the question from the adult to the young person. You oh, I'm bringing this up only because you shared it in your TEDx talk which I thought was yeah. very well done. Help me understand sort of your passion for safety, awareness, sort of a wholeness of experience, right? You you were born in Yugoslavia, you you migrated to Sweden and then sort of parts in between as we were talking about off air. Is that a part of who you are when you think about the path that you have chosen? Because I think there are a lot of ways someone who is an empath can work and contribute to society. And some are very protective and sort of on the cutting edge. And even, I know people can only hear us, but just to see your body language change as I'm even asking this question, I sense a lot of pride in you. Talk a little bit about the origins of your story and how that is a part of the daily approach you take to your work. Yeah. It's uh, well. Thank you for for asking that question. I I appreciate it. And I, as you said, just based off of my sort of body language, you can tell that I enjoy talking about that. And it was a huge inspiration for me when when I started thinking about what I wanted the topic of my TEDx talk to be as well. I, I take a lot of pride in my sort of uh, I guess upbringing or, or childhood. Just just the fact that it happened 
on, on such a kind of global scale. So I've lived in nine countries so far and, and I'm sure it's counting. So I'm sure there'll, there'll be many more, but I think that kind of global upbringing really just deepened my, I think it deepened my awareness of the fact that there is no one right way or best way of doing anything, but what, you know, whatever it is of parenting, of growing up, of eating, of drinking, of, you know, li- literally anything, building a city, you know, there, there's a, you know, millions of different societies in the world, all of whom think that, you know, they figured out the absolute best way possible. And I think, you know, being the sort of the, the third culture kid that I've been, I think I've realized that everyone has found some little secret but no one has the one sort of perfect way of being. And I think that that has also contributed actually to my own ability to, to, to be more humble and to not step into things with an assumption of what sort of the correct answer is, but to really always be open to, to many, many options. And so I think that's, that's what I bring into what I bring into, to this whole question around children and their behavior online. I, I started thinking about this. Again, back in 2016, I was living in Singapore at that time, you know, Singapore being what it is, incredibly advanced, incredibly progressive when it comes to technology and lots of other things. But I was increasingly noticing that children were were really attaching themselves to devices. So situations in which, you know, prior to that, I wouldn't have seen a child looking at a phone or, or a tablet. They now were. And so I, I don't like to refer to myself necessarily as an, as an empath, but, but you use that word as well. And I think in some ways I probably am being the empath. I, I sort of put myself into the child's and, and the parent's shoes and thought, okay, what actually happens to that relationship if you sort of insert that device in between it? And so whereas I would have been able to make, say, direct eye contact with my baby before or with, you know, with my mother, depending on what end of the relationship I'm at, I now don't because there's a screen that's that's sort of wedged there in between us and and that was really the thought that launched you know everything that I do right now and that I I think in some way led me to to do what I do here at the organization where I do it it's really that question of what does technology do when you insert it in between those those relationships that we have but but then also thinking about what does it do to us as individuals and I think being Again, all of those qualities I, I try to, to embody as much as possible, being really curious, trying to be open as much as possible. I have my own personal biases. I have my own personal views on, on technology that are mine and that, you know, I realize not everybody will, will agree with. So I try to use them to inform my approach, but I also try to be as open as I possibly can and be really curious, be really empathic, try to understand what each person's individual experience is when it comes to technology. And and one thing I always try to encourage people to do as well is to really have, to really feel that they have a sense of agency to, if they need to say no, I'm definitely not a proponent of detaching yourself completely from technology. We, we can't really do that even if we wanted to, but something that I don't like is that I often sort of hear people talking about, you know, it's here to stay and it's not going anywhere. And so we just kind of have to cope with it. And I, and I challenge that and I, and I disagree with that. And I've had my own personal experiences of stepping away from certain types of technologies because I just felt the need to do it. 
And there's a little bit of stubbornness in me as well that I think comes from, from being Eastern European, where um, <laughs> I, I refuse to be told what to do or not to do. And so I try to convey that to other people. You know, you are allowed to completely step away from that te- technology if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't need to. But don't forget that 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 choice is is always there. You don't have to to sort of take part in absolutely everything that society has up up to offer. I think that's part of why we get into trouble with so many of these technologies, right? The new shiny thing comes out and everyone jumps on board immediately. And it's that sort of move fast and break things approach where then later we figure out these are all the different things that that we broke and now we have to fix them. So I don't like the idea of that approach where children are involved. I think we need to be a lot more careful and mindful. And I think certainly we're, we're taking steps in that direction, but there's still such a long way to go. The, the virtual spaces that children occupy today were not designed with them in mind. We're trying to patch things up. We're trying to you know, implement you know, parental control tools and, and all sorts of different things. And that's great. Those are really important. We have to use them. But fundamentally, those places are not uh, child friendly. And so the question then comes, well, then how, you know, how do we keep kids safe? And then that loops us right back to the beginning of, of the conversation. But yeah, th- those, are, those are some of the, the sort of the questions that, that I try to grapple with. And, and my background certainly contributes in, in a huge way to how I think about some of these questions and, and sort of the advice and, and the recommendations that I give to people. Well, I share in your stubbornness. I think that that is a great quality. We need that in a world that is moving incredibly and terribly fast. I want to make sure that people can go check out. You can go to LineWise. That's with a Z, LineWise.com. I would also recommend checking out Teodora's TEDx talk. It's very easy to find online. Connect with her on LinkedIn and her website. I think you're a wonderful ambassador for a conversation that is getting deeper and deeper and one that is expanding beyond longitude and latitude of isolation, right? It's a a one-world approach, and you're doing a very fine job of that. We want to thank Teodora Pavkovich of LineWise. She's a director of well-being. Once again, you can go to LineWise.com to learn more. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.